we're a little bit more susceptible to economic forces because we're dealing with businesses. The risk is higher on our end marginally, but the returns far outweigh the additional risk. If you're interested in how highly successful investors overcome limitations and become unstoppable forces of success, you're in the right place. The Conscious Investor Podcast features weekly conversations with real estate investing experts and delivers a Monday mindset episode to help launch your week with intention. If you believe success is for everyone willing to think, then do, these conversations will be your weekly rocket fuel. Welcome back, Conscious Investor. I'm just having a great time off air, and I know you're going to have an enjoyable time with this episode because I have my friend Ash with me. And I think the coolest thing is that I met Ash at one of my absolute, actually, it is like my absolute favorite conference that you can possibly go to, and that is the Best Ever Conference. And I went for the very first time, uh, it was in February of 2022. And it was just such a fantastic experience. But one of memory that really stands out to me is standing around a table during a book swap type event that I organized and having this conversation with Ash about asset classes. And I think we were actually specifically talking about light industrial and neither of us backed down. And we were both just like, really, I would say animated and very engaged in this conversation, but it was all very friendly and so much fun. And it was just, I love people that aren't afraid to go into a a challenge that's friendly and well-intentioned. And so Ash, like you've been at the top of my list ever since that moment. Julie, likewise, thank you. And you were one of the most memorable people that I met at Best Ever. We had some fun conversations. So thank you. Thank you. That was, I hope memorable is a good thing. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Ash, you have a lot of really great things going on. And a lot of times we wait till the end to talk about those, but I want to drop a nugget that you have this amazing mastermind community that you offer. And in another recent episode, we were talking with another guest, we were talking about the importance of finding a community that you feel aligned with so that you can accelerate what it is you're you're going after. Okay. So can you just, with that in mind, like, would you mind just telling us what's your mastermind and Tell us about the community. Yeah, it evolved because I've always mentored people. I've always encouraged people to go into non-residential commercial. And the people I mentored was always one-on-one. All of a sudden, I had a bunch of people that wanted to learn how to get into commercial. And I didn't have the time to start a coaching program or a mastermind. They kept forcing me and beating down my door, finally did it. And we've got just an incredible group of people, men, women, it's called Invest Beyond Multifamily. And it's mostly taking people from multifamily teaching them how to pivot into industrial warehouse, retail, office, land, medical, flex space. There's so many different asset classes out there. And for your audience as well, I want everybody to take the blinders off and start looking at different asset classes, not just multifamily or not just self-storage. I love this. I think it's absolutely imperative. Now, for me, I have chosen to... I have chosen to really double down in the multifamily space so that I really understand the nuances of it and that I can just be an expert 
in that space. But I did that because I was like having shiny object syndrome because it's like, I'm not a shopper at all, but it would be like going to the mall and having all these stores and they all have whatever it is that you want. And you want to go into every single mall, every single store or shop and check it out. And so that's how I felt when I entered into commercial um, investing in general. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at self-storage, look at RV parks, look at mobile home parks, look at triple net lease, look at industrial, look at that flex space, look at multifamily. And, and so for me, I actually like took this, okay, girl, step back, get grounded in something and just kick butt in it. And then you will have permission to explore the flavors of the rainbow. (laughs) I get that. So I too believe I'm focused. I'm focused on two things, great returns and Mm -hmm. assets that don't have a tremendous amount of competition. So Julie, the reason I'm not in multifamily, the reason I'm not in RV parks or self-storage is because I don't have a competitive advantage. I can't compete with people like you in multifamily. So why, why bother, right? If somebody's very well established, they've got a great team, they've got all the broker connections, and I'm starting from zero going into multifamily, I have zero competitive advantage. And I don't know how I would be able to compete against a lot of the established syndicators. When you look at non-residential, commercial, industrial, strip malls, the competition is much lower because the deals are so much more complex And what I mean by that, I'll give you a quick example. There was a strip mall that was brand new. My business partner said, Ash, I love this area. Let's go talk to this developer. It was being built. And I told her, I said, look, this is a brand new build. We're going to end up paying top dollar for it. This is not for us. We buy value add. She insisted that I fly to Atlanta, meet with the developer. And I did. And great conversation built a rapport with this person. And when we finally got pricing, Julie, it's exactly what I thought, top dollar, because who doesn't want to buy a fully leased brand new strip mall, you know, new roof, new parking lot, you have nothing, triple net. I mean, you have no hidden expenses. And I told her, I said, look, you know, great try, but let's move on to the next one. And she said, no, I'm going to give it one more look. And all of a sudden she calls me up and says, Ash, none of these leases have renewals in them. And I'm like, there's no way. So Julie, what happened was the developer, he's not a savvy landlord. He's a developer. And all of these businesses signed five-year leases with no renewals. Now, why is that beneficial to us? Well, in five years, we get to renew at market rates. Renewals only help tenants, not landlords. So in the multifamily world, imagine if your apartment tenants had five yearly renewals up their sleeve. You can't go and raise prices 12, 15% because in the lease, it's a 3% annual increase. That's how commercial real estate typically works. So finding five-year leases, brand new, great businesses. They're going to be so established in their location. It's going to be very expensive for them to move. And they're going to potentially alienate a good part of their customer base by moving. So that was just a huge win. And this is stuff that you don't find in any book. There's no good masterminds out there for commercial real estate. And I've looked at a bunch. So finding nuances like that can have huge return implications. That is absolutely huge. And it requires a tremendous amount of creativity and doggedness to just stick with it, to keep going after it. I have a friend that's a developer in my area. And I mean, he'll find all the little things, the nuances on a parcel of land that will allow him to be creative and to build what he is looking at building there. 
if you're willing to stick with it like your partner was and to look, let me just look one more time. Let me just look at the dotted line a little bit closer. That's just absolutely awesome. And I love that you're saying is absolutely true. And this is one reason that my company hasn't, and granted, we're not into doing too many deals. I don't like doing a bunch of deals. I like doing really good deals. Like, let me focus and get really great deals. But that competition is fierce absolutely fierce. And though, as my brand Sherpa from Authentic, Monica would say, you're incomparable. Like you're differentiating yourself just by going into a different market. So what are some of the elements that one, I'd love to know, and I have seen your emails come through and there I'm seeing the difference. I'm seeing the triple net lease and the different offerings that you have. And I think that I'm always curious. So how would a passive investor be able to evaluate this? if they're used to, because I believe in diversifying a portfolio amongst your real estate, both geographically and amongst the asset classes. And a lot of people are now familiar enough with reviewing a multifamily syndication. What are some of the differences they're going to see when they're looking at the strip mall or they're looking at an industrial that they're not so familiar with? Man, what a great question. The answer to that, in my opinion, is you answer a lot of the what ifs. You evaluate all of the risks. Now, a newbie investor into commercial, what do they look for? If somebody presents to you a class A whole food strip mall, there's many years left in the lease. Let's say there's five years left on all the big leases. Everything's great until it's not. So if Whole Foods decides not to renew their lease, the numbers get devastated. The anchor mm-hmm. tenant leaves and one by one, all the other tenants leave, right? Those big box stores like JCPenney, they've been around for 120 years. They've made it through world wars, the Great Depression. and 2020, they declared bankruptcy. They're done. So when you are buying at the top, you can't bank on things continuing to get better or even staying the same. Think about all the what ifs. What if this tenant leaves? What if they don't renew? Mm -hmm. On the flip side, when you enter into a strip mall, let's say that has some vacancies and it has some mom and pops and some national tenants, well, there's a tremendous amount of upside. As long as that anchor tenant, let's say it's Kroger or a Dollar Tree, as long as they've got six, seven, eight years left on their lease, you're good knowing that there's stability for that many years. And the operator should be able to improve that property by getting more national tenants in there, getting everybody on triple net leases. So you look at how much worse can that get? You look at the surrounding areas. If the area is growing, there's not a whole lot of risk. But when you buy something shiny, top, class A, a single tenant Starbucks building, it can go for three, four, five million dollars. And if Starbucks decides not to renew that lease, the dirt in the building could be worth half a million, right? So you look at the potential upside and the potential downside. That's really interesting in my mind. And you know, I think we've already established that I haven't chosen to go down this particular path. And I think it's something that I agree with you. Investors need to be looking at all of their options and diversifying in the asset classes. Part of, in my mind, I think about just what happens in communities as they grow, they develop and just the cycle, the natural real estate cycle they go. Should we be, are we looking for gentrification in strip malls? How do you know where to buy? Like, this is a good area because listen, 
this isn't my area of expertise, I could see somebody presenting an offering to me and saying, hey, you know, Julie, this offering, this is an up and coming area. You can see they've got some new apartments over here or they're doing a heavy lift over here and we can see the signs happening. Is it a safe thing to do? Like what is the safest geography that we can be looking towards? Great question. Again, personally, I'm afraid of buying anything in Phoenix, Miami, Austin, Dallas, because those areas have boomed so much, right? I'm afraid that they can come crashing down. Phoenix, there were so many vacant Mm -hmm. strip malls after 2008. So we look often in tertiary markets or outside Mm -hmm. of city centers. We're doing a lot in the suburbs of Atlanta. And you look at the same demographics and the same metrics that multifamily people look at, population growth, household income, job growth. All of those things are very important, but I don't want to compete in class A booming areas. People are banking on future appreciation. I feel the same way, even in the multifamily space. Yeah, that scares me, right? It does, especially where I've lived, even prior to being in this sort of investment. I mean, just watching what happened in California and the growing pains in Denver as well. So you just kind of wide-eyed about that. Now, everybody likes to know what the money is. Everybody's show me the money. So when we look at returns, what are some just average returns that we're looking for? And then are there similar tax benefits that we can be looking at? Man, two good questions again. The, the easy question is on the tax benefits. When we do our cost segs, we don't quite get as much as a multifamily people because in our world, we have walls, roofs, lighting. We don't have appliances. We don't have kitchen cabinets. We don't have a lot of flooring, right? Those are things that apartments get to depreciate very quickly. Often we have shells that we're purchasing. So the cost seg companies try to get as creative as possible, but whereas a multifamily cost seg can yield 25%, we might be at 20%. We're not as good on the cost seg and the depreciation. In terms of returns, our last syndication, we offered our investors 18% preferred return and then a 70-30 split. However, the 70 went to the GPs, 30 went to the LPs. So Mm. a much higher pref, but a lower upside Mm -hmm. on the back end, right? I talked to a lot of multifamily syndicators and today they're patting themselves on the back when they get a deal that's six or 7% cash on cash return. And that blows me away because we turn down deals that are 13, 14% all day long. If there's no upside, we don't want it. Our Mm -hmm. target for cash on cash return is 20%. A year and a half ago, it was easier to find those deals. Today, it's not. So we're dipping down 17, 18% cash on cash return. We'll do it as long as there's tremendous upside beyond that. And the upside comes in under market leases that are coming up for renewal, filling vacancies. We have a 30,000 square foot furniture store that's paying $3.73 a square foot month to month on a strip mall that we bought. That's below what you can rent a leaking warehouse for, right? So we knew there's upside in getting that closer to market. So our returns are just way, way higher. On our latest deal that we're raising for now, it's 8% pref and a 50-50 split. But the potential of those deals is so much higher than multifamily. Hmm. Do you feel that, so a lot, oftentimes, and I know that because you have so many multifamily buddies, just like I do, that will say, you'll hear this. 
but our risk is lower. We're safe. Everybody needs a roof over their head. So when you have some interested passive investors who've been investing in multifamily and they're looking and reviewing, maybe they're concerned like, oh, this feels risky comparatively. And I can tell by the look on your face. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can tell too. I just adore you. You're so awesome. I'm like, I know you. <laughs> I'm like, I knew you'd have an answer and I already see you do. So I'm like, tell us about the risk. It's two answers. If I'm arguing with my multifamily buddies, I'll present an argument. The truth is multifamily is way less risky than what we're doing. Unless you are in those markets that have boomed, right? I know people that bought three caps in Phoenix, and that was before anybody anticipated interest rates going up. Mm. So how do you make money and what's your exit cap when you're buying it at a three cap. This was not a value add deal. This was a class A fully renovated apartment complex, $30 million. You bought at the top of the market. And mm. the answer, when I asked what the play was, they said the Phoenix market has appreciated 12% annually for the last X number of years. Awesome. I get it. What if it doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So in that case, they're way riskier than we are. Often, Julie, when we buy properties, we don't do roof inspections, HVAC inspections. We try to, but there's times that we don't because a lot of that doesn't matter. There's so much meat on the bone that we don't care. With multifamily people, they inspect every single unit. They write down every single deficiency because they run on razor thin margins. But in terms of risk, and similar to what we're doing, we're buying value add. If I'm competing with a value add multifamily player that is buying in a similar market, I would say they have less risk than we do because they're starting at the bottom like we are and they're going to improve their property through renovations. It's tried and true on their end. They have market comps to support that similar to us but we're a little bit more susceptible to economic forces because we're dealing with businesses, right? Business owners, Mm -hmm. they're dealing with people that need a place to live. So I would say the risk is higher on our end marginally, but the returns far outweigh the additional risk. Thank you. That's a really thorough perspective. And I really appreciate that. I wish I could lie and tell you that's not the case, but we definitely incur marginally higher risk. Let's consider this is that so often we've both seen this, people start their investing in real estate in the single family space, and then they realize it's not scalable and then they discover apartments or small multi. And so this is almost like that next gen, that ability to, as you mentioned earlier, like pivot the thinking. And so to be open-minded and aware, those same feelings that people have when they make that transition from single family into multifamily, it could be small multi or larger multi, but that same feeling, that transition, it can be applied to going into an entirely new asset class. It, It worked, worked then, and it can work for you now. So one of my questions is, I'm very big on what's the exit strategy? How does this work? So what should passive investors be looking for in this exit strategy? What are typical hold times in these strip malls and such. Yeah. Great question. I do want to add, I get that natural evolution, single family, multifamily, and so on. I got very lucky that my first property was a mixed use building. It was apartments Mm. over a store and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't have a mentor, no courses, nothing. I realized that the apartment people were 
putting wear and tear on my property. They were college kids destroying it really. And the store owner was replacing the entire HVAC system on their dime. They're remodeling their space, their bathroom on their dime. And that's what prompted me to go into commercial real estate and get away from residential. So I got lucky in that that was my first investment. And I had the opportunity to see that business owners are way better to deal with than residential, in my opinion. And to get back to your question about passive investors looking at Exit strategies. Exit strategies. No, I loved your tangent. (laughs) So it's similar in that if we can hit our returns early, we will exit, right? My opinion is we're value add investors, even though it's hard to let go of a cash flowing asset, we like to improve something to about 80% and then sell it so that the next buyer has upside as well. And our investors cash out will hold everything for at least a year for capital gains. But typically you're looking at two to three years for an exit. In some cases, it's five years, like in the new strip mall that we bought. We want to have all of those leases expire at the five-year mark so we can renew at a much higher rate. So we will sell that in year six. Exits, it's either when you hit your target or when you've extracted as much upside as possible. I don't ever foresee holding something just to continue to cash flow. We typically don't take on a lot of investors per deal. So it's something that we would run by the investors as well. If they want to stay in cash flow, great. If we present another opportunity, they want to transition over, great. So unlike multifamily where they're raising 10, 20, $30 million from dozens of investors. Our deals are typically two and a half to about $7 million. So our raise is 600,000 to $1.52 million. So we have a much smaller number of investors. Personally, I like it when the investor base can be smaller, more intimate. It creates that more white glove. It's easier to create the white glove boutique experience. And I know for my company, it's really imperative to ensure that we know what our investors' goals are so that we can reach them and love this that, hey, we're in touch with our investors. So we know like we can, even your exit strategy might pivot a little bit like, oh, well, let's sell it now at this. I mean, just even as a limited partner who traditionally has zero voice, but that's also you. You know what I mean? And that's the heart of you coming out and your partners also, because some companies would be like, whatever, they have no voting rights. We're just making the decisions. We're the experts. But to really be in tune is is speaks volumes. And I've invested in a lot of other people's deals and I've had good deals and bad deals. And I've had operators that don't communicate. I've had operators where deals are going south and we don't even know it until we ask the questions, right? And that's horrible, horrible. Yeah. So I totally get that. Yeah, I get that. Sounds like that's maybe even influenced how you go about your investor relations. My opinion on investor relations is if there's any bad news, I would disseminate that right away. Good news, I'll compile and give out infrequently. Nice. (laughs) Give it out. Okay. Final question on our asset class, you know, convo here is that what's going to go wrong, right? I love that you ask what if, because it's one of the questions that I don't, it's like a four letter word almost, even though it's not, because for most people that can lead them into a downward spiral that's negative. You leverage that to see opportunity, possibility, and potential. So I think it's, you use it for something very positive. As we're looking at the shift in the economy and global uncertainty and all of that, how is that? influencing this 
asset class? And what are you seeing in the future? Yeah, great question. Headlines are ruled by clickbait. So you always see the headlines about companies going out of business, layoffs, or stores that are closing. You have to really dig to find out that Ross Discount Stores is adding 300 stores this year. Ace Hardware has already added, I think, 150 stores. Those things don't make headlines. And Mm -hmm. recently, and this is, I fact check this over and over again, retail is the healthiest that it's been since 1995. For the first time since 95, more stores are opening than closing. So retail is alive and well. I think this younger generation and the older generations are going back into retail stores. So neighborhood retail is always a safe play. Even during COVID, the suburban downtown retail sector was on fire, right? We all stopped going to city centers, city downtowns. We started going to a suburban downtowns. That's where the restaurants popped up, the bars, nightlife, and the dog groomer, the hair salon, the nail salon, the pizza place, the deli, those are always going to be around in the neighborhoods in the suburban mm-hmm. downtowns. So buy right. But for your audience, I want to stress, even if you don't ever, don't look me up, whatever, but take the blinders off and look at other asset classes, whether it's self-storage, whether it's industrial, whether it's land development. I get it. We've all done very well in passively investing in multifamily, but everything is cyclical. So there may be a time where it makes sense to look at other asset classes. Well said. And if you know who the operator is behind, as you make that transition, that makes all the difference in the world because I've said it so many times before, and I already know that you're going to agree with me, is that you could have a great deal, but if you have poor operators, it's not going to be a great deal. And the worst deal can become a decent or amazing deal with strong operators. So like, no matter how you're investing, you have to know who you're investing with. And that's foundational. And take it a step further, because I invested in two people that were in the mobile home space that I very much liked. And I blindly gave them a check. And that's the one that's going south and they're not communicating very well. So Mm -hmm. even if you know, like, and trust the operator, still do your due diligence on the actual asset, their plan, their risk assessment. It's so important, especially with these economic headwinds that we're dealing with now. Yes. Oh, that's critical, critical and key advice right there. Okay. I'm going to digress away for just a moment into something totally different. And that is that you had a corporate career before all of this. I did. Yeah. (laughs) Most people start there, but I'm always all about real estate. I want to know about the real estate, but can you tell us, you know, just about what was your corporate career and what was that transition like? I was in IT because it's what my degree was in. When I graduated college in 99, IT was on fire, the tech bubble. I did that. I knew that I wasn't going to work for somebody forever. So right off the bat, my first year of working, I started side hustles. I've started so many different companies. Some worked, some didn't, some I exited, but none of them really produced enough to where I could leave my career. And as the years went on, I started making more and more money in my career, got harder and harder to leave. And when I finally found commercial real estate, I dropped everything. I had an IT consulting company that I started at the time, dropped everything, fell in love with it, found my calling. Interesting story though, on a a side note, we got sued by Amazon. One of the side hustles that I started was called amazonsupplements.com. And this was back when Amazon wasn't really big like they are now. (laughs) And they didn't even sell sports supplements. So we were doing this for a year 
started making a lot of money. And then we get lawyers, we get sued by Amazon. We had to turn everything over to them. And then they started selling supplements. Oh my gosh. That's a fun story. Maybe you could go back and reverse sue them in some way. (laughs) Now, you know, my partner at the time told me, he's like, it's a bad idea to call this Amazon supplements. I was 25 years old. I'm thinking, oh no, it's great. Like we'll get name recognition instantly. Turned out it was a bad idea. Lessons learned. Lessons learned. By the way, I'm a fellow 1999er college graduate. Oh, awesome. Good year for sure. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your willingness to play a little bit of presenting a different perspective out there on, hey, let's look at other asset classes. Like this is important and this is powerful. So how can the conscious investor reach out to you? If they're interested, they're curious, best ways. Just go to investbeyondmultifamily.com or ash at investbeyondmultifamily.com. I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm on Bigger Pockets, LinkedIn. I'm I always respond to anybody that reaches out to me. He's everywhere. <laughs> He's like omnipresent. <laughs> That's the fun part of my day, right? Like interacting with people is really the fun part of my day. So Agreed. I love doing it. It's so much fun. So much fun. And are you going to be at Best Ever this year? Yes, in 2023. Absolutely. So I'm going to give a plug and I love that I get like, there's no benefit for me. It's just such a really fantastic event that you can meet people like Ash there and you can have great conversations. So if you aren't already looking at that, I think it's like March 8th. So just yeah, you I probably think know the exact and, date. And I'm not really affiliated with that. I am just really good friends with Joe Fairless. I've invested in a lot of his deals. And I'm a podcast host. Other than that, I don't have much to do with his company other than being a big fan. You know what's really cool? That means he has two raving fans right here because I plug his event all the time. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) It's a super fun event. So much so that people who just appreciate what Joe's created are like, you should come to this event. (laughs) And there's no upsells, which I love. No, it's It's just super high caliber people, the presenters are high caliber and the networking is just amazing. But that's a great place where you can go and meet Osh and it'll be fun. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I really appreciate your time. Julie, thank you. You're an absolute rock star. Keep doing what you're doing. Love seeing your content and thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Conscious investor, I know that it's always good to be exploring what else is out there. And as much as I love multifamily, family, you heard me, I'm grounded in multifamily for a reason. And there are, and I'm not blind to the other asset classes, but that's where it's creating and forming alliances to be groomed so that you can really understand and invest in those in a wise way. This gives you an opportunity to have that exposure to another asset class, another powerful operator so that you can, maybe that's a path that you are going to want to explore for yourself. You are amazing. And remember, if you have gained anything from this, make sure that you connect with Ash. Make sure you leave a rating and review. Remember, those are wind in the sails of all podcasters. So not just for the Conscious Investor podcast, but for any podcast, leave a rating and review. It lets us know that our efforts are reaching you and serving you well. Until next time, live big, love bigger, and do great things. What's the big deal about investing in apartments? Why is it better than investing in a slew of single family homes? I've compiled a lot of information on why investing in a multifamily, also known as apartments, will help you reach your investment goals. Head over to threekeysinvestments.com and download the Why Invest in Multifamily guide today.